Here is the word. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahi, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Amen. And all the people said amen. Now, Lord, we need your help today. You're going to do your perfect work. And I pray today that you would do it. And let the thing that will be done, let it be of certainty. And we will cry out that what you have done is marvelous in our eyes. And we sing today, you are holy. You are worthy. We extol you. We exalt you. We magnify you. We lift you high. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. Jesus' name and Jesus' name and Jesus' name. Wherever you're standing, clear your mind of every thought and just thank the Lord for his goodness. Forget about everybody else around you, what you're going to do. Out of your mouth, just begin to praise him and just say, I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify you, Lord. I magnify you, Lord Jesus. You are great and greatly to be praised, Lord. Hallelujah, Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. In context of the scripture, perhaps this biblical narrative might lend itself to both faith and fear in a single family. On one side stands the bold and forthright Jonathan. The other is his father, King Saul. Jonathan has just defeated a small garrison of the Philistines, he and his armor bearer, when God sends a shaking of the entire area. The scripture says that there was a great trembling as if the earth itself was snapped like a blanket on a freshly made bed. They are all battling a well-equipped enemy. Jonathan is the one moving with a pure heart and he has faith in God. And he turns to his friend, his cohort, his armor bearer. And he says to his armor bearer, before they reach the enemy, he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Jonathan does not know the outcome. 
He is looking into the face of bloodthirsty men. He is outnumbered ten to one. But he has faith in God. And yet he is still uncertain as to what will happen, what will transpire. He is only certain of the power of God. And of that there is no doubt. So Jonathan says, God can save. God can use us. No one can hinder the Lord. God can bring us out regardless of who is with us or who is against us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is no restraint to the Lord. You need to know this today. No one can block God. He cannot be held at bay or impeded or diminished. God did not even need their minimal tools of warfare or of Jonathan. But rather, Jonathan needed the presence of the Lord. And with God, all things are possible. Amen. And if you look at the scripture, Jonathan's just submitting to his armor bearer the possibility that the Lord could work for them. He's taken a chance on the Lord. He is not in consideration of himself. In fact, the next line gives clarity that they do not hold the advantage. 20 Philistines, 20 men of war, all of them are armed... And all of them are standing on top of the hill. And the enemy has the high ground. Have you ever felt that the enemy in your life has the high ground? You're, you're wallowing in uncertainty and you need to try something. And, and, and you're trying to live right and do right. And someone lives in close proximity to you. But they're living in profanity. And they feel good about life. And they've got the high ground. And you're in the valley. But they're on the mountaintop. I don't know how many times I've seen that. And if you read the Psalms, you'll find that David was dealing with that almost all of his life. And I wish I had time just to pause and preach to you about the high ground. Let me just give you one word about the high ground. There was once in the historical account of Israel that a man of God came. Here's 1 Kings 20. And they spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the enemy, the Syrians, have said that your God is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all of this great multitude in your hand, and you shall know that I'm the Lord, that he's the God of the mountain, and he's the God of the valley and there's no limitation with your God if you're on the mountain he's God there if you're in the valley he's God there if the enemy has the high ground he's still the God of everything it doesn't matter where you're standing God is still in control I'm working on it that's right the Lord's in control ladies and gentlemen God is in control no matter what you think is happening around you, the Lord is omnipotent. He's in control. He's immutable. He never changes. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's not just at the beginning, but he's already at the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. He was there before you got there. He's, he's already at the end before we ever arrived. We're just walking straight ahead, but he's been at the beginning, at the ending, before it all began. Amen. So while Jonathan and his armor bearer have one sword between them, and they have to crawl. The Bible says they're crawling up the side of that hill on their hands and, 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 and their knees, and, and, and they're grasping. And when they arrive, they defeat the garrison, and God sends a panic then upon all of the Philistines. In fact, just that one battle sent a panic upon all of the army of the Philistines. But off in the distance stands King Saul. 
Jonathan's father. He's in the battle of his life also. But his battle is not a physical battle. It's a tug of war between the knowledge of God and self-reliance. Saul is facing down the outpost of the Philistines and they're raiding and they have raiding parties and they're coming from the north and there are thousands of Philistines approaching him head on. King Saul is at a unique juncture of his own life. He feels the earth trembling then and just manifestation of God's power off in the distance. He looks out at Gibeah. But he is unsure of what has just transpired. He does not know what Jonathan has done. All he knows is that their engagement, their hand-to-hand combat that he's about to face is imminent. The time is approaching. And it could be that the very day of this field will one day run red with blood. And there will be friend and foe that will die. And in that moment of uncertainty, King Saul finally reigns in his own desire and he resigns to the need. He finally calls for the one thing that he has rejected all of his life. It was the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark. That two and a half foot tall by three and a half foot long golden glowing box. That acacia wood overlaid box with gold that that led the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness and that embraced the descending cloud of glory. God in his present form, the ark, which had been delivered to the people and then had delivered them from countless problems and victories and received the resting presence of the spirit of the ancient of days. Saul finally looked And call for the Ark of the Covenant. And he saw his own impossible odds. And he finally said, bring hither the Ark of God. Just as he commanded that Ark of God. Just as he was calling for it, something was happening. Just as he commissioned for it to come. And to be with them and to lead them. Jonathan's victory was being felt throughout the countryside. The Bible says that God sent confusion among the Philistines. And in their delirium they began to draw swords on one another. The Philistines were striking each other with their own swords. And the scripture states that they were, and I quote, melting away. And they went on beating down one another. And King Saul, he had just given the command, bring the ark, call for the ark after all those years of leading the nation having once been anointed by the prophet Samuel he saw the impossibility of his own situation and now he finally calls for the presence to come the ark was to them the embodiment of Jehovah all that Jehovah Yahweh might be the mystery of his omnipotence and wonder the ark of the covenant signified it to them but when King Saul heard the sound and felt the earth quake and shaking and he looked up to see the enemy devouring each other something happened it snapped in him he had come to the point of needing God but when he saw the battle turn in his favor King Saul said to the priest close by just withdraw your hand I don't need him any longer I've got this I know what I'm doing now the blessing of Jonathan His faith and courage rippled across the plain of Gibeah. The victory of Jonathan, what God had done, it caused this cold and indifferent man to change his mind. Now Saul, once just a moment before, we need the ark. Now there's no need. I can do this on my own. I don't need the ark. I don't need the Lord. I don't need 
God. I don't need that supernatural thing. And the polar positions are striking. Jonathan, the son, leans on God. He climbs in faith. He is a realist, he says. It could be that God will help us. God can use you and me. If we beat the men at the top, we know that God is going to do it. If we fail, it's okay. He can work for us. There's no restraint to the Lord. He can save by many or he can save by few. He can save when we have a lot of resources and he can save us when we have nothing. But on the other side of the valley, while the battle is raging and King Saul sees the result, he rejects the very thing that could have saved his own life. He is in a battle for his own faith. It was the enemy that Saul was at war with. That was, that was just the apparent thing. He was fighting the Philistines, but maybe the greater reality, he was at, he was at war with his own flesh on that fateful day. It was his own flesh because the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, wars against the spirit. There's a battle raging and it wars, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is man's innate desire for subjectivism. I hope you can hear me today. It's his own desire for self-reliance. Saul is independent of God. He was in a moment of humility, albeit ever so brief. And the enemy was a day away, perhaps less. His own outcome was uncertain. And he remembered the unmatched power and the testimony of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was in that moment that he called for the Ark. It is written almost as a last resort okay okay call for the ark I know we can't do it now let's ask God for help but for my own sake as I stand here I'll take that when I first read these scriptures so many decades ago I wanted Saul to recover I grieved at the finality of his life he will one day wane into madness this prophet that was that anointed him he will call for that prophet and Saul will will hunger he'll, he'll be so lonely for the prophet I don't know how many can hear me today but living without the voice of a prophet is a dark existence and Saul's despair devoured his peace he needed Samuel so desperately that even after the old prophet's death this king sought one last word from the underbelly of the spirit world you can read it in your bible Saul was on the verge of a personal victory in that valley called Gibeah he saw his need and he called for God and that's it he called for God he knew he could not make it on his own and he turned to Ahai and he said bring the ark call for the ark but when the moment passed and his need was no longer existing when he saw that he had the battle in his hand when he saw that he could do it by himself he said withdraw your hand I don't need him anymore I don't need God anymore here's your Bible 1 Chronicles 10 Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord even against the word of the Lord which he kept not and also for asking counsel at, at one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it Here's the next verse. And inquired not of the Lord. Therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. Here's First Chronicles 13. And they said later, they said, and let us bring again the ark of God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Here's the 
here's the Berean Bible. It says like this. Then let us bring back the ark of our God. For we did not inquire of him in the days of Saul. We had him to our disposal. But we had it all in our hand. And we didn't need God. So I rise to say to everyone today. You need God. You cannot live without God. You cannot live without the Lord. You've got to have the spirit in your life. I want to call to Saul from the other side of history. I want to yell over from this side and tell King Saul, no, you're not okay. It's not going well. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it on your own. Your flesh is your enemy and your pride is your prison. Some of you think I'm preaching about Saul. I'm preaching about you. Your flesh is your enemy. And your pride is going to be your prison. And you think you've got it all together. And I want to tell you right now, you can't live without the Lord. And your flesh is in a battle with the Spirit. And there's a war right now like there's never been a war. And you're not okay. And it's not going well, even though you think it might be going well. Here's what Paul wrote for the flesh. It lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary one to another. So that you cannot do the things that ye would. A carnal nature is at war against the spirit. Say do not cohabitate. They push and they pull. It's an internal battle that's known and it never stays idle. Solomon said these words. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Here's the next verse. And all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. And all your ways acknowledge him. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And all your ways it sounds so appealing. But the words are much easier to, to recite than they are to live. Because when you have it in your hand, your natural inclination is to push away from the things of God instead of acknowledging God in all your ways and acknowledging Him in everything. Instead, we say, you know, I know the Lord can do some things, but I did this. I just want you to know today, you didn't do anything. You didn't get up this morning. You didn't, you, you, you don't understand the operation of the universe and how God has done it. He woke you up today. Fallbacks and resources and abilities, they might be sufficient and good. But we put our eternal souls in jeopardy when we place our trust in these temporal things. Paul scolded the church of Galatia. And he said this, and I quote, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that now you are made perfect by the flesh? Here's another version of the Bible. Are you so foolish? After beginning the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You're not going to make it, ladies and gentlemen, by intellectualism. We're not going to be saved because of talent or ability. And if by chance things turn in your favor, that doesn't mean that you fold your arms and reject the things of God. I just want to stand here and proclaim to everybody, you need him. You need him. You need him. You need him in the morning. You need him when you're sick. But you also need him when you're healthy. You need him when you don't have a job. And you need him when you do have a job. And you need him when you've got a lot of money. And you need him when you are a pauper. And you've got nothing. (laughs) 
I've never seen people pray like they pray when they lose their job. I've never seen people pray like they pray when they are in the middle of a, of a tragic situation. But when the need is gone, they fold their arms and watch the preacher preach. All of your seats are equipped with electrocution shock. The new pulpit will have a button under here. Section left middle. You ain't got it good. It's not going well. You can't do it by yourself. You're not going to make it by yourself. Don't tell me about your education, about your 401k. Don't tell me about what you've got going on. Don't tell me that you got something paid off. Without God, you've got nothing. You have nothing without the Lord. Only by the grace and mercy of God did you even get up this morning and walk in this house. It's only by the hand of the Lord. It's only by the will of God. I said this before and I'll say it a hundred more times. We were better when we were on the wrong side of the tracks. I liked it when people pulled up in the parking lot and they had their mufflers tied up with one of their clothes hangers. Uh Anybody? I like that. That was good. But now you're sophisticated. You better get out of your sophistication because it was only by the hand of God that you got to where you are now. And it's only by the grace of God that you're going to get to where you need to be. I almost came to prayer, but then things worked out and I didn't call anybody. I almost called on God, but you know what? I've got a good doctor. I'll tell you the doctor you ought to be calling. You ought to be calling the great physician. Before you call your personal doctor, you call on the great physician. Before you call your friends for help or post something on Facebook, you ought to call the counselor. His name is the counselor. Before you ought to call your friend, you ought to call the one who is closer than a friend. He's closer than a brother. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. See, this is what I know. I'm cons- I, I, I know that we, <laughs> we have a little issue. It's, it's, it's mass consciousness. It's, it's, it's a collective thought that a motivational moment will lift you up out of depression. And so now our entire generation, from young to old, has become intoxicated with motivational speeches, leading them away from the Spirit of God. And people even get into leadership. and They talk about how David encouraged himself in the Lord. And the next line is that your strength is going to come from inside. I stand to say it's not coming from inside. 
There's nothing good inside. It's always coming from the Lord. Let me just tell you what David did when he was in trouble. He encouraged himself in the Lord. This is how he did it. He remembered what God had done for him. And he went back to the testimonies that the Lord had given him. And he just reminded him, not of what he had, but what of God, what God had done for him. The Bible doesn't explicitly say it. David, don't you remember? You're in the field of your father when the bear came. And it was you or the sheep, but you killed the bear. Don't you remember? The Lord did that. You couldn't have done that. This is David talking to himself. And the lion came, and you tore the mouth of the lion open. And don't you remember when you, when you heard Goliath bellowing obscenities from beyond the ridge, and you picked up those stones, and you ran after him, and you said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And you put that... I want to remind you, David, what God did. He directed the stone. He gave you victory. He gave you authority. It was the Lord. Here's here's Acts 17. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. We live, and we move, and we have our being. See, it's God, and it's me. It's my strength, which is finite, dreadfully insufficient, and his omnipotence. There's no comparison, and yet I am measuring out my own ability. Now, I can have him if I want him. He's available. He's willing. He's telling me, call on me, seek me, you'll find me. But the problem is, once I have the issue solved, I'm good. I I was reading uh, catchphrases of... of of America that's occurred and, and been now part of the culture of the language. Uh, I don't know if it's in the dictionary now because the dictionary has been manipulated and uh, no one really even knows uh, what should be there, what should not be there. But, but, but it, now for some time, at least a decade now, uh, people will, will now broadcast this and and fathers to sons or a coach to, to some, uh, some athlete, and they'll say to them as a means of encouragement, you, you got this. And then people will say of themselves, I got this. And all of that is just flesh. It's just it's self-reliance. I, I just want you to know, you don't have it. I, I think you ought to be a little uneasy. You don't have it. You don't got this. Aren't you glad you came to church to be encouraged? Aren't you so happy? Since your Bible says, work out your own salvation. You work it out. Here's the next line. With fear and trembling. Not with overconfidence. Not with self-reliance. I've got to be saved, Lord. I've got to be saved, Lord. I can't mess around, Lord. You're the Savior. You're the one. You're the one. Here's Jeremiah, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. 
I'm going to turn your captivity. I'm going to gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, saith the Lord. I'll bring you again to the place whence I caused you to be carried away from cap- into captivity. If you'll seek me with all of your heart. But the insanity of humanity is on full display when we reject the hand of God and we replace it with our own hand. And Saul said, I need the Lord. Call for the ark. But the moment he saw something happen. Never mind. I was on my way to prayer, but I got my answer. Never mind. I was on my way to being committed, but oh, it's okay. I found what I was looking for. I was almost there, but you know, I, I figured out I got, another, I got another resource. Withdraw thy hand. And that's why I believe that your, your best position in, the li- in this life might actually be when you're out of answers. I, I've stood, well, I've only stood on this platform how many weeks? Is this the fourth week? I don't know. But I've stood on a platform for a long time, and I felt a little compelled to explain why some people go a little crazy in the church. They start dancing and shouting, crying, falling down, running around. It just It's it, this demonstrative view. Their responses of what's happening. And then I realized that Perhaps it's because when they received their answer, they knew that it had to be God. And so when something happened to them, they just exploded with emotion. Jesus is there at the table and they're all eating kafta, tabbouleh. Fatouche. You don't know. They got the little pita bread and they're breaking it. And they're all dipping it in with a little olive oil and olives. Yeah. This woman comes in and she starts washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiping them dry with her hair. And they're all looking at Jesus. It's out of order, you see. And, and, and Jesus said, Simon, you see that woman? When I came in here, <clears throat> you didn't give me a kiss. That's what the Lord said. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet since the moment she walked in. My head, you didn't touch my head. You didn't greet me, but she poured precious oil over my head and anointed me, my head and my feet. And I say to her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Here's the next line. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And the reason why people respond so exuberantly and they do all this stuff is because when they come in, And their prayers are answered. They know it was the Lord. You don't understand. I had nothing. I needed 
needed him and he came to me in my time of need. I had to have God and he came up, he showed, he showed himself. See, that's how the Lord knows. If you are thankful for what he has done for you, you called on the Lord, he was quick, and your response, it's not a solemn response, it's not stoic, it's thank you, Lord. I know what you did for me, thank you, Lord. I feel like reading some scripture. You may be seated. And I don't know if, uh, if we have it yet or if it's on the screen, but I, w- I feel like reading a little scripture for you. Uh, this comes from, I think it's the New King James Version, but I want to read some scripture for you. This will help us because people argue and think they know everything, and I want you to know we all know nothing. God knows everything. We don't have a plan. God has it all in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. Used to sing that in Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother, in his hand. He's got everything in his hand. But they're all arguing in the book of Job. And they're pontificating about what they know. And Job makes a defense of himself against his friends. And sounds pretty good until the Lord shows up. And then the Lord shows up in a whirlwind. And chapter 38, and he says in verse 3, I'm going to ask you a question, Job, and you're going to answer me. That's a little disconcerting. So all the people who think they know everything, like Job thought he knew everything, here's verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Anybody? Anybody? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band when I fixed my limit for it and said bars and doors when I said this is far as you can come but no farther and here your proud waves must stop have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it it takes on form like clay under a seal stands out like a garment from the wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death have you comprehended the breath of the earth tell me if you know this where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness where is its place that you may take it to its territory that you may know the path of its home do you know it because you are born then or because the number of your days is so great you got so much knowledge have you entered into the treasury of snow have you ever seen that Have you ever seen the treasury of hail, which I reserve for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is the light diffused or the east wind scattered throughout the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt? To cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, 
a wilderness in which there is no man to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven? Who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster of the, of the pleadas and loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Mazuoth in the season or can you guide the great bear with his cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds? There an abundance of water may cover you. Can you send out lightnings that they may go and you say here we are who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens in its clumps and the clouds and the clouds cling together can you hunt the prey of the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lyres to lie and wait who provides food for the raven when the young ones cry to God and wonder about for lack of food who can do any of that stuff only God can do all of that. So I stand here to say to you, only God, he's the only one. It's only by his spirit. It's not by me. It's not by you. It's only by the Lord. He gave you the breath. I'm preaching today. You need God. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. You got to have the Lord. You got to say, I need you. I need you in the morning. I need you in the evening. I need you when the sun goes down. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the austerity of our days. The great revivals of the world are not happening in rich countries. They're happening in poor communities. They're happening in desert places. Revivals aren't happening in places where people have personal doctors and caregivers. The revival that's going to happen in the last days are not going to happen with people who have need of nothing. revival is going to happen when you say I got to have him I need him I groan for him I call on him I'm asking you don't wait for trouble before you lift up your hand and say I need you Don't wait for pain and heartache before you open up your mouth and say, Jesus, I need you. Don't wait until you have a car accident. Don't wait until you have, you have great, great persecution, great trouble before you lift up your voice and say, oh, God, help me. I've got to have you, Lord. I need you today. I need you today. Call for the Lord while he can be found. Call for the Lord. I wonder what we would do if a blind Bartimaeus was in our house and he kept interrupting the church service. He's sitting by the highway side begging. He hears that Jesus is coming by. This is in your Bible. And he yells out, Jesus! Thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
don't know where you are. I need help. Here's all the religious people. Be quiet. You're out of order. Reading your Bible. They stilled him. They said, be quiet. You're making a noise. You're making a ruckus. We don't do that around here. This church. This is the Lord. And the more they tried to quiet him, the more he yelled out. Jesus! Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. We don't know how many times he cried out. The Bible doesn't tell us how many times he cried out. All we know is that every time they tried to stop him, he just got a little louder and a little louder. And all the people, all the professional people, all the people got it all together. All the people said, hey, we don't need him right now. We got it all. We got this. No, you don't. I need you. I need you. I've got to have you. I've got to have you. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. I'll tell you what your problem is. Your problem is you've been waiting for everything to be right in the right time. I'm going to tell you it's the right time right now to call on Jesus. i got to have you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I got to have you. I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. Bring in the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to have the leading of the Lord in this house. We're going to have to have a desperate cry. We got to have a need in our life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, wherever you are, just tell the Lord over and over again, I need you. Say it, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, I need you, I need you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Listen, I know it's an emotional response. I know I'm provoking you for emotional response. But I feel like I need to call out to people today. I, I, I feel like I'm going to make a case today. So forgive me if you need to. But I'm praying for our, for our community. I'm praying for our nation.
praying for us. I'm praying for us. We can have a burden for the world, but sometimes we have to pause and have a burden for our own eternal soul. I'm burdened for me. I'm burdened for you. I know the world needs Jesus. I know we've got to reach souls for the kingdom. I'm praying for a whole church that needs God. And just when we walk into his presence, we just say, I got to have you, Lord. Ah. That's right. That's right. That's right. When was the last time you said it? Have mercy on me, O oh God. According to your loving kindness, take away all these things that are hidden in my heart, Lord. I repent, Lord, of thinking that I've got it all together. I know I don't have it together. I've got to have you, Jesus. I got to have you, Jesus. I got to have you, Jesus. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. You're doing that. You're doing it. You're doing it. That's right. You're doing it. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. That's right. You're doing it. That's it. I hear it. I hear it now. I need you, Jesus. My Savior. Hear the pathos of your pastor today. I hope you can feel the passion of my life. I hope you'll join me in that. I got to have you, Lord. I got to have you, Lord. I need you. I need you. I need you. Yes. That's right. That's right. You're doing it. That's right, you're saying it. You're praying it. I feel it, Lord Jesus. I feel it, Lord Jesus.
Hallelujah. that I love that sound I love the sound of prayer and praise and calm God Jesus I love you Jesus I worship you Jesus I want to read to you this scripture before we have a final prayer. <laughs> there were seven churches in, in the message <clears throat> given to John the Revelator in the book of Revelation, the, back, the last book of the Bible. And each of the churches had a unique message from God and in Revelation chapter 3 John writes that there was a message sent and he said I know thy works that you're not hot or cold I, I would rather you be hot or cold But you're lukewarm. You're somewhere in the middle. And then in verse 17 is the telltale of that. To the church at Laodicea, he said, Because you say, I'm rich and increase with goods. Oh, here's the, here's the worst of it. And you say you have need of nothing. And you don't even know. That you're miserable and you're poor. And you're, but it feels good. Because you've measured your security by the temporal things that are in your life. 
And the word of the Spirit today is trying to tell somebody, call for the ark and ask God for his spirit. (laughs) Because regardless of what you think you have in hand, you need Jesus. And don't ever say, I don't have need of it. You need the church, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me, friends. You, you need Sunday morning service. Maybe one of the songs. Maybe you don't like every sermon. Maybe it's not always appealing. But you, you need to be in church. And you need to be in prayer meeting. And you need to be surrendered to God. This is your need. This is my need. My need is the Lord. We sang, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. What what, what happened to that? What, what, What happened to our cry of need? What happened to our cry of need? I want the altars to be filled every Sunday, not with just people that are in conflict and have diseases and need to be healing. I want us just to recognize, I, I, I just need God. Why are you up here just because I need God? And in saying, instead of saying, I have need of nothing, I want all of new life to just walk around and say, I need everything. I need everything that God has for me. I need everything. Why? Because I'm depleted. There's no way I'm going to make without the Lord, the Spirit of God. No. Holy thou art God. Holy thou art God. Holy thou art God. Woe is me. Woe is me. Yes, Lord. And I believe that if we can, if we can have a total reliance upon the Lord, the Lord's going to do, he's going to be able to use us for his glory. Oh, man. God's going to use us for his glory. That's the reason why, that's the reason why the Lord showed Gideon 32,000 is too much. I can't give you the victory with all those men. Let's just whittle them down to 300. That's where I want to be. I want to be moving in a place where you know it's impossible for the outcome to come about, for the victory to be in your hands without me. I'm going to put you in a place where you need me. I want to tell you, I got to get into a place where I got to say, I need God. How did it happen? I don't know, but God did it. I don't know, but the Lord did it. Amen. I thank you, Jesus, for your word. Oh, Lord, we bow our heads, Lord, before you. We bow our lives before you. We are desperate for you, Lord. We don't want form and formality. We don't want tradition, Lord. We don't want pomp. We don't, we don't want pride. Oh, God, we need you. Every hour we need you. This very hour we need you, Lord. Even when we think we've got something going on, we need you, Lord. 
We're calling on you, Lord. We cry out to you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If you're born again of the Spirit...